Hey, I'm Manny Saris, and this is the Education Beyond Degrees podcast with The Spur Group. The podcast where a continuing education geek goes behind the scenes to talk shop about the people, trends, and ideas impacting our space. Okay, so this episode is going to be a little bit different. You all know one of my favorite solutions to do is organizational development, and maybe some of you have even done one with me. They're one of the most popular engagements we do, and they're truly a joy for me when we have gotten to the point where the organization and everyone within can feel successful. However, these organizational development projects are some of the most sensitive ones I encounter. Obviously, it didn't make sense to talk through the details with somebody from a past project, and instead of having a boring podcast episode where we have to talk in code to avoid confidentiality issues, I found someone with the same passion for these types of projects. I was lucky enough to have Jared Chappelle from Navalent join me. I'll let him explain what he does specifically, but Navalent offers executive coaching and consulting for senior leaders to solve their own organizational issues. They have clients like Microsoft, Starbucks, Hallmark, and other Fortune 200s, although I know they've also worked with some universities in the past. So today, you get two for the price of one. Two organizational development geeks talking shop and more importantly, talking details about how to deploy a successful organizational structure in your own organization. Jared, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Manny, it's good to be here. So like I said in the introduction, I am very lucky to have Jared join me. And we are going to spend today's episode talking about organizational development. I am really excited because in my career and the things that I've been doing, this has been one of the, my favorite projects to do when I was still behind the Dean's desk and when I started Spur. And I've always loved presenting. You've seen this at my conferences that I attend. You've seen this in the webinars and the other summits that I've been doing. I just love talking about organizational development. Jared, why don't you introduce yourself? <laughs> Tell us a little about who Jared is where you're from, where you're at, and then actually tell us a little bit more about Navalent. I am first and foremost a husband and a father of three wonderful kids who live in San Francisco, California, and I have been working with Navalent for eight years as a partner there. And our work at Navalent, as you said, it is often with larger organizations, Fortune 200 companies, but we also work with startups. And we also work with nonprofits because we say that we're industry agnostic, but we're also also organizational life stage agnostic. And so ultimately our conviction is that if you put a bunch of people into a room and they're trying to do something together, that is an organization. It's got a strategy. It's got relational dynamics. It usually has some kind of power structure, governance. It's got a leader. And for us at Navalent in our work, it is how do you make sure that those things are fitting together? How do you make sure that there's congruence across those things? So whether you're in a academia and continuing ed, or you are at Starbucks, so many of the same dynamics are at play. And our work is to excavate those and again, make sure that they, they fit and they're integrous so the organization can get to where it needs to go. What got you into org dev and what got you into Navalent? Yeah, great question. I think for me, a couple things. One, I came at it more from the transformation, the development of an individual. So I think initially some background in 
in psychology and some interest in kind of the, the ethics and morals and values that move people to action. But what I began to see in my work is that individual transformation could only go so far. Even a collective, a group of individuals transforming was not the same as an actual organization changing, right? An actual community changing. And so I began to become more curious in, in what it meant to not just transform individuals, but relationships between individuals and ultimately the context that individuals are together in, which in, in our work today is organizations. And so was really just drawn to change that stuck and change that scaled. And I think the work that we do at NAVLA is an opportunity to do that. I love that we're having this conversation because what Navalent does, you work with a lot of big companies. And if everybody goes to the website, they could see a list of them. One of the things that we talk about in the higher ed space is we are so traditional in our models within the organization. Mm. Everybody knows exactly what a higher ed organization looks like, right? There's a president, provost, dean, associate dean. We have the traditional hierarchy, but the organization has shifted dramatically. And one of the things that I'm super curious about in your work as you work with these Fortune 200s, when somebody brings you in and they ask the question, how do we make this organization better? Talk to me a little bit about what assessment are you doing up front and how do you get them moving forward to understand what needs to be done within their organization? That's a great question, Manny. I think oftentimes, just like a, a client walking into a therapist's office, there's a presenting problem. But our work is at the beginning of an engagement is to ask better questions, maybe questions that they've not asked about what we believe are symptoms. We often say, the intervention without diagnosis is malpractice. It's true for doctors. It should be true for consultants as well, right? So we spend a lot of time asking questions to understand the uniqueness of the context that we're in. And a lot of folks, and you're saying this in, in your world, right? Look at the, the standard structure or the standard approach to governance for their organization. Best practice is fine to a degree. But I don't know that there is best practice. I don't know that templates are always helpful when you're thinking about your organization, right? It's not best practice that you need. It's your practice that you need. And so a lot of what we're doing, you know, when we begin with a client is to ask, what is your story here? What are the values of this place? When did it start? Tell me about the leaders. Tell me about the difference you want to make in the world, because all of those things should impact the structure of your organization, should impact what your meetings look like, should impact what the governance is you know, between a board and in your context, all the way down to a community of, of students or of customers. And so for us, we want to understand all of that before we begin to talk about the right fit, because again, it's about congruence and fit and things being integrous more than it is about there being a right way to do it. And I'm, I'm assuming that that's what you see as well, as you're talking about this boilerplate approach that is often taken, or traditional approach. Yeah, when, you know, these one-on-one -on -one meetings, the meetings that you have with the individuals, I think that it's the most often overlooked aspect of org dev and, and its importance in what we do. It is incredibly important that you understand each one of these people's who, who are within the organization, what their perspectives are, what their goals are, what they like to do, what they don't like to do, what's working and what's not working. And 
it's really funny that in traditional education, and I'm not going to, I can't talk to, to the corporate world because I haven't worked in the corporate world, but in the traditional higher ed system, it's just assumed that everybody is in their role to achieve their job description for the overall of what's happening. But in those one-on-one conversations, and I'm curious to how they are for you too, you get so much more of what they want to be doing, of what they believe the true mission is, of what they think could be beneficial to that unit. And it's really powerful how much information you can get from those meetings that lead to what could potentially happen. And to your point, to what that strategy is, what, how are those meetings for you? Yeah. I mean, I would say the same, right? If you, a lot of times we'll be working with an executive team, right? And with the executive team, maybe in our kickoff meeting, we'll ask each of them to write down on a piece of paper, what they would say the strategy for the organization is. And hopefully the leaders of the company, they get it roughly right. And at a high level, the, the, ambiguous terms around mission statements and values and strategy and those kinds of things. But then when we get them one-on-one, it's a totally different ball game. I mean, you're getting candor about what the strategy, what it says on the walls, what they've printed really big and put on your screensaver. You're getting some candor about that, but then you're also getting some candor about where they think, whether they think that strategy is possible or what, what they think that strategy or direction should be. And so it, it does, it feels in some cases a lot like a confession. And sometimes we do get some things that we're like, oh, geez, probably shouldn't have told us that. Now I have to tell somebody else. It is, I think you're onto something there as well about folks wanting to feel connect, regardless of their role, regardless of the details of their responsibilities, wanting to be connected to the strategy in a way that's meaningful. And I think again and again, if you are, doing org design with anything in mind other than creating cohesion between where you say you want to go and creating roles and jobs and a structure that enable people to feel connected to that direction, then you shouldn't be doing any org development work. At that point, you're just moving boxes. You're just looking at an org chart. You're just trying to get fancy or or follow some org trend. And ultimately, you're going to find yourself doing the same work two years later after you understand kind of the deficiencies of of where you've left off. So I think what you're saying there around people wanting to feel their work to feel connected to what they're doing should absolutely be a design criteria in any organizational development we're doing. One of the things that always cracks me up about these projects is I love the movie Office Space, but the two Bobs in in Office Space did did such a disservice of when they were doing their organizational review. And it's painful because every time, I don't know about you, but every time I do one of these projects, everybody always comes in fearing that they're going to lose their jobs. Hmm. And we talked a little bit beforehand about that. And like, we're not in this to downsize. And I'll just share, I'll just share my view. Everybody has a skill set that can be beneficial, right? I feel very strongly that people are in their job for not necessarily for a reason, but they have a skill set that drew them there. And going back to those one-on-one meetings, I always find that's a great place to figure out what those talents are that could lead to that strategy. So first off, comically, I'd love to know when you walk into those one-on-one meetings, do you ever get that 
the two bobs feel from the person you're speaking to. And then second, when you were talking about strategy, how often are the people you're talking to, how, how much do you go away from what their actual role is to bring in some other strengths to that team? Yeah. So, I mean, I definitely get the Bob vibes. I always joke that I'm neither of the Bobs nor my George Clooney from up in the air, which people often associate with our work as well. But if I had to be one, I would definitely pick George Clooney. Um, (laughs) But I think to your second question, I never want to do organizational development thinking about people. So I think this is actually one of the places where as you begin organizational development work, as you're imagining a new structure, we often think, oh no, well, if we do that structure, that's gonna impact Susie. And so we can't go that direction because Susie said she never wanted to do that. Or Susie's been here 20 years and she's been so loyal and that's gonna feel like a demotion. Or, and I think designing around people is really nearsighted. And I think anytime you're doing any design work, it should be very future oriented. And with that comes not thinking about the work that individual people want to do, but the work that's required for your organization to be successful. So I could talk about it in all kinds of corporate terms, but I'd be you know, curious in your world, right? What are the broader buckets of work that an organization is accountable for? Because I think those are the things that you want to identify first before you do any organizational development work to avoid designing around people, right? And I think in those instances, you're never going to be designing anything further than the the staff you have now and the work that they're executing now. And so so we like to start, like I said, at the beginning of this categorizing of work. We've got business development. We've got operations. We do it in North America. We do it in Latin America. And really beginning to get sharp around what is the actual work being done so that we're not designing around the individuals. Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. And you had mentioned something earlier about future strategy. Are you coming into this helping develop out the strategy first and then going into the org dev? Or are you doing the org dev understanding what the mission or vision is, and then going into the strategy once the organization feels better? Yeah, great question. So often we'll get hired to do org design and realize that it's not, like the design is fine. The issue is that there's not an articulated strategy. So we're not a big strategy research firm. We're not coming in and doing a bunch of analysis of the market and telling them where to go. You can pay for Bain and McKinsey to do that. We often come in on the heels of some of those bigger firms coming in. And what we see is that there's, you promised to boil the ocean. There wasn't enough granularity to the strategy to say what then the structure could look like. So we often talk about it in terms of critical capabilities. If you are an organization that you're in manufacturing, let's say, and in this last year during the pandemic, you were only business to business before, but during this last year, you realized, oh no, I can't rely on this supply chain. Stores aren't open. I need to figure out some way to get things directly to consumers. Well, the reality is you don't have the critical capability within your organization. You don't have the processes. You don't have the talent. You don't have the know-how to do B2C work. And so 
What we find a lot of times in organizations is that as soon as the external environment changes, their strategy has to change as well. And there's not always the level of detail and the capabilities they need to be successful. And without those capabilities, in our estimation, you can't talk about the org development. You can't talk about the structure. You can't talk about the meeting cadence. You can't talk about any of those things that we want to jump to, the boxes on the charts that everybody wants to get to. We can't get to that without a clear strategy. So we're often having to say, hey, thank you for calling us for this org design. I think that makes a lot of sense. We'll get there, but we need to spend some time putting a finer point on some of these things here that you've listed as your strategy. It's, a, it's such a tricky piece of it. And you're so right. Even in higher ed, I'll just speak to higher ed for a second. In higher ed, the, the institution itself always has a mission and vision, right? And that's on everybody's website. That changes probably with every new president that comes in has a new mission or vision. But each individual or department within the institution also has their what could be their own mission and vision. And continuing ed, they almost all do because it is much more of an entrepreneurial community-based department within the institution. So there is something very different about how we do things in continuing ed. And the strategy for a long time was always develop non-traditional programs for non-traditional students or some version of that. And we've even seen the last, even the last five years, that has been significantly changing to be much more business oriented, but the strategy hasn't changed as much. And so we're always having to figure out the best way to recreate the strategy to fit, to then be able to work on the processes, to work on the organizations, just like you just said. So I'm always, every time I try to talk to a dean and let them know, as much as you are in a university setting, you are still a business. And one of the things that I love about Navalent's website and what you guys have on there is the six approaches to organizational design you should avoid. Those six <laughs> things is basically what higher ed is always doing. Hmm. So I, if you could just sit here and talk to somebody in higher ed and be like, this is why you shouldn't do these six things because you are so business oriented. Like, how do you get somebody to actually move away from these six things that everybody is doing in higher ed, or I'm assuming since it's on your website in corporate America also. Yeah, it's such a good question. I mean, one of the things I would imagine even in higher ed too, is you want things that are research informed. You want things that others are doing in the space. And there's a lot of uh, horse racing in the, the academic industries. And so for me, it is, there's six things you can look at them on the website. The, the one that I always think of is, are you going to pay now or pay later? And this is to your point around we're a business now, and it's not just a mission statement. I, I think what happens is if you're looking at the performance of your business, you want to optimize the people that you have, the processes that you have for more success. And there is a cost to waiting until it hurts. There is a cost for waiting until there is a big blow up in a meeting or somebody was unethical 
or there's a hundred thousand dollars that we're missing or whatever there is a cost to wait until then and that cost is potential business and so i think what i would say to folks that are kind of hemming and hawing around does this really matter to my business or are we even a business there's a way we've always done this maybe there has but there is a, a new normal certainly in your industry there's a new normal in the world where we need to be taking a proactive uh, approach to some of these things that we know impact our business and we have a bias that your structure, your processes, your talent, the relationships between all those people, the character, integrity, and vision of your leaders matter. And getting at those things now is critical to your success in the future. So as we talk about leaders, that word is always really interesting to me. My dissertation was on leadership and, and humor, funny enough. But when we talk about these org dev projects, what types of leaders are the best leaders to have in place for what could be a large structural change like this? Well, that's a really great question. So many things pop to mind. I mean, the first is that we do say, and I like that you're thinking and talking this way, we say the answer's in the room. And we as consultants are not coming in with our binder of how your organization should look. We, we believe that there are people in your organization that care about its mission and vision that do the work and execute it on a daily basis. We believe that th there's that expertise there. And a lot of our work is just to provide the scaffolding for a process and all of our experience in other companies, but to provide some kind of process to pull those leaders through it. So to your question on leaders, I think the first one is comfort with ambiguity. There is no greater strength to me right now in our meta context, but certainly in any industry that's undergoing any change to be comfortable holding multiple options at once. And so I really believe that you need design team members, people involved in this org development work that are, are comfortable with that ambiguity. So that'd be one. Two, I would say courageous people that are willing to be vulnerable about the risk of any decision that's being made people that understand there's a trade-off, that if you're looking at five or six different structures, different options for your strategy, that there are going to be downsides to those things. You don't want somebody that's super rose-colored and Pollyanna. A lot of times people think about change management and anything or change related as something where we, we need the most positive people or Jenny's always upbeat, let's have her on the team. Bob, he can articulate a vision with the best of them. Those people play a role, right? They can certainly um, be helpful. But what you really need is people that understand with each decision is you're literally cutting something off. Decide, right? Same thing as homicide, right? It's, it is to kill off options and there's pain in that. And, and so it requires a good amount of courage. So I would say that is two. And then a third thing is just um, in it for the long haul. We find that when there's any organizational change, big or small, people begin, people like stasis, right? And so you want somebody that doesn't feel like change is a threat to their role, a threat to their identity, but that they see it as an opportunity for a different future that they can contribute to. And I think if you can find those three things in a person, those qualities, I think that, that would serve uh, development work really well. So you just brought up something that 
I've been debating to ask you or not because I don't know. I don't know if I want to be the one answering this question either. We talk about the type of leader that would be good for org dev projects. Hmm. How do you handle a situation when the leader's the issue? It's a good question. I mean, all, all kinds of different ways to be brief, but I, I think the reality is if we're contacted by the leader. So if we're contacted by a head of school, if we're contacted by a dean, to use your example there's at least some curiosity about what's going wrong. They might not be looking in the mirror and saying, well, there's what's wrong, but there's at least some curiosity about how things could be better. And so what we try to do is work with that curiosity. So it could be to your point on that intake process where we're doing those interviews and then we're giving that report back to that leader and saying, here's what we heard. In every single one of our protocols, our set of questions that we're interviewing folks with, we always ask about the leadership. And we understand that there's like plenty of leader scapegoating and a significant amount of distrust in institutional leadership today. And yet there's going to be some level of truth in there that would be helpful for that leader. So if it comes out that the leader is significantly contributing to some of the pain in the organization, we just have a come to Jesus moment. And we tell them compared to the other leaders and organizations we've looked like looked at and worked with, you are having a disproportionately negative effect here, but we're really excited that you contacted us and we can be valuable. Because I, again, I don't believe that an individual's transformation and organization's transformation are separate, right? Transformation implies multiple formations at once. And for us, we do believe a leader can change alongside the organization, not apart from. And so I think the second thing that, that came to mind for me was if we see a leader not budging, right? So if you're doing org development work, hopefully it's inclusive. Hopefully it's future oriented. Hopefully it's open-handed. Hopefully you understand these trade-offs, all those things we've already talked about. If a leader is not modeling those things and we're alongside of them, coaching them through what better, more generative behavior would be, and it's not showing up, then we've got to keep pushing harder in that direction. But if that leader is a block at all, and you're trying to create a more efficient, values-aligned, future-oriented organization, and that leader is not making the trip, then that organization is not going to succeed. It's a really good way to put it. I actually really like the way you define that. So let's talk about, I don't want to call them war stories. Let's talk about, <laughs> let's talk about a success story. Thinking back to what you've done at Navalent and the work that you've been doing. Why don't we both share one of the stories that we have that always stands out and makes you smile thinking that was a really good project that ended up really well. Oh, that's great. That's great. Okay. So the first one that comes to mind is going to feel tertiary, I think. So we did an org development project with an agriculture company that's scattered through the Midwest and large company, multinational company doing really well, but it had been an eat what you kill business. So it was essentially like 30 different business units scattered and not very centrally managed. And we did this restructure to create something that again was more future focused, more strategically aligned. And so we did the work and it went really well. We did it with the executive team as well. So that's an important point here. And on paper, 
that's a nice little design. But what we came to discover is that they used to have 30 cowboys out in their own region doing their own thing. And what we had to do is create a team of 12 general managers that were actually responsible for all of those different businesses underneath of them. And those 12 people really needed to figure out how to one, elevate their leadership and two, work together. And so we're actually just wrapping this project up, but it has been a delight to see these 12 leaders rise to the occasion of what it means to lead their new organization. Instead of resenting that they don't get to be out on their own and that they're losing some autonomy and now it's getting big in corporate now, they saw it as an opportunity for their own growth. They've leaned into the relationships between each other and they found synergies between each other's businesses. It's just been a really powerful example to me of, again, the inseparability of what it means to change your organizational structure and what it means to change your leadership capability. And so it, I, we're wrapping up in a couple of weeks and I, I'm sad, I'm, I'm sad to see it end. So I, I think any of those instances where it's not just the technical part of org change, but it's the human part of org change as well. Anytime those things cross and you really see the leaders taking that human part seriously, it's exciting. So that was definitely one for me. What about you? I should have prepared this question for myself. I have two that stand out. And I feel like the way that you talked about yours is very similar to mine, especially once the projects were coming to an end. There is, there's a an institution on the West Coast that we did some work on and they had been stuck in a rut and things had been going so well for so long. And then all of a sudden they weren't changing as times were changing and needs were changing. And so when we finally had that conversation of what exactly needs to happen, it was a huge team. There was like hundreds of people on the team and we went through and talked about what the organization wants to move forward in being. And I think the most satisfying thing that came out in that entire project was after we had talked to everybody and really started getting their input, not just about strategy and goals, but allowed their personalities to come out in those conversations it really brought out a whole new way of looking at how people look at their own organization. And honestly, the reason that I love that project so much, it's because it changed a little bit of how I looked at the project itself. And by the time we had finished looking at the strategy and what the goals are and what the org structure has to look like. But once we got through all of that, finally, that moment, that you see that everybody else understands what's happened and what is going to happen and why this work, even though it could be scary to some people and change is scary to some people, you could see when they finally realized what's going to happen for them and why it's going to change how they work and have them moving forward. It was that moment. And it's like that moment in every project for me. I don't know if it's like that for you, but when everybody realizes that, okay, these people do have it, like it's for our good what's happening. 
Maybe we hadn't realized that this is the path, but now I get it. They're not here to shake up just to shake up. They're actually truly putting us on a path to do the job that we all want to be doing, not the job that we all think we should be doing. So that's so good. Can I ask you, who gets them, that's poor language, but who helps that feeling arise in your experience, right? Because I think even in our world, if we're working with a legacy business, the business I was just talking about is a family-owned private agriculture business with 120 years of story. And so to insert anything new can feel really uncomfortable. So I'm just curious in your experience, like what kind of leaders or what kind of process helps that group coalesce around what's possible? It's good. This answer sucks, but the answer honestly is, is time, Mm. right? A little bit of time and continuous buy-in and showing by example from the leadership, that is what keeps it steady, right? Because if one thing, having one major change happen is okay, like we could deal with it, but having constant change, that will never get to that point because it does take time for people to adjust, especially if people have been in their job for 20 years, 10 years, whatever it is. Well, honestly, it's just, it's really about leadership and the leaders that are in place, continuing the path, continuing to have resolve that this is the right path, proving it by being a good example and just letting a little time go for others to see, oh, these pieces are really falling in place. And maybe that's a cop out of an answer, but I feel no. like it, it just takes time. No, I appreciate that. I think it's true. One thing that you just brought up there that I think is important to call out is when we're impatient, we usually take a fragmented or piecemeal approach to whatever change we're doing, right? So if there isn't patience, if there isn't process, if there is not that time for that buy-in to occur, then we just move quick. We move item to item, right? We're gonna change this team's agenda. We're gonna change who this person reports to. We're gonna change this marketing program. And we're doing it all separate from one kind of discontinuous, cohesive move towards what we wanna be about. So I think, time is a huge, it's a critical component. And I I think it's just helpful for people to know that. Well, one of the things that I've appreciated from this conversation is that it just, for my listeners, for the people that are listening to this podcast, who are almost all in education, when we say that education is becoming more of a business, we're totally true about it. I mean, Navalent works with these Fortune 200s and Jared and I are basically saying the same thing about how we work and and the approaches to the work we do. So I really hope that this audience sees that there are so many ways to go about doing it, but the organization and the strategy that you need to have in place are so critically important. Jared, I mean, thank you so much for taking the time today. would love for you just to tell a little bit more about Navalent Does and even if you want to share something else, happy to open up the floor and feel free to talk to the education world out there. (laughs) Education world. I think the first thing is thank you. Honestly, I know regardless of whether you are a teacher today or you are 
in some level of administration today, your heart for the development of people <laughs> is there. And I, so truly, I thank you for that. I, uh, on the heels of this year and having three kids of my own, just knowing how important the community of educators is, we've just all felt it. So truly thank you for that. Navalent has been doing good work for a long time. And like I said, we are industry and org life stage agnostic. And if you are feeling like, as you've listened to this conversation at any point that somebody that could use our services, we would love to just take a phone call and figure out how to be helpful, honestly. So don't ever hesitate to reach out if we would ever come to mind, but really just grateful to have this conversation today and be uh, alongside your community. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Jared. And please go to navalent.com. We were talking earlier in this podcast about the, the six approaches to organizational design you should avoid. Go to their website, check out some of the material they have on there. It's really good material. They keep it, they keep it out there so people could look at and get an idea of what they're doing. Jared, I appreciate so much you taking the time today. This was such a fun conversation. I love doing this project and I love hearing other people who do the same thing. Yeah, of course. Thank you for the invitation. It was Great to meet you. Great to chat. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Education Beyond Degrees podcast with the Spur Group. If you liked what you heard, you can find this episode along with a ton of other resources on the website at spurcg.com. See you on the next episode. Thank you.